Today is a really exciting one. I'm sitting here with Jerry Saltz, who is the chief art critic for uh, New York Mag. Right, Jerry? Yes. Yeah? Okay. I call myself the senior art critic. The senior art critic. Well, either way, I think that sometimes when you have that, that title makes you seem like you're a bit of a bigwig and, and, <laughs> and not doing a lot of the, the slog work, but you actually are. You, you like work on, you write weekly columns, right? That's right. Being an art critic sounds like a, a pointy-headed, idiotic, you know, imperious thing to be, and it probably is. But uh, I live in Manhattan, and I go to about 25 to 30 shows a week to see art. And it's like I'm a fisherman, just casting my line in the water, pulling it back, casting it in, waiting for any kind of little electric bolt of any reaction, negative or positive. And then, if a review starts to write itself in my head, like, what the hell is this person up to? All their paintings are square and aquamarine, and they say they're about saving the planet. Uh, I'll run home, filled with energy, and sit down at my desk, and I work on deadlines, which means I have every seven days, I've got to turn out something. And if you see, follow me online at Jerry Saltz, uh, if you see, I almost write daily, sometimes a few times a day online. So um, that's the job. Mm -hmm. Usually I just want to quit. Mm -hmm. That's the other half of the job, mm -hmm. from just being, everybody has imposter syndrome. You listening to this, me, everybody has it. Like, what am I really doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. I will tell anybody that's listening that most artists, great artists, they don't know what they're doing until they've done it, in most cases. Or usually you don't know what you're doing until the very, very end. And I have found that it's a bit like cooking even, that when you finish doing something and sort of pull it out of your own oven and stop writing or stop working on the project. If you come back, it's still been cooking. You look back at it and it might have finished itself. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's what I do to just finish and move on. It's like when you're, you're as a writer constantly on deadlines and you said before, you know, just get it done. Yeah. And full disclaimer to all listeners as well, I'm a, so my day job is in neuroscience and psychology. Wow. And so we, from our, and I have to write a lot and I anxiety a lot, but we, from our perspective or from our research, we know that people procrastinate mm. because they have negative feelings about that task they're supposed to do. They think, oh, I'm not a good enough writer to write right. this and everybody's gonna hate it. So then they don't even wanna start. And as a writer yourself, and as one as we'll get to, started fairly late in your life, mm -hmm. I imagine you must have had these feelings at some point. And how do you deal with that? Right, um, the first motto is finish the damn thing. <laughs> 
you big baby. It's never going to be good enough. I'm telling you that as a writer. I won a Pulitzer Prize this year, if you can believe it. I couldn't believe it. I won a Pulitzer Prize, and every single thing I write, I think, this isn't done. This isn't good enough. I'm not really sure what I'm doing.、Uh, this makes no sense. This is crapola. I'm just pulling the wool over people's eyes. Blah blah blah. The regular jam you spread on yourself. What I would say is deadlines are sent to you from heaven, via hell. You get it done. That's the job. I don't care if it's not perfect. You'll make the next one perfect. So, just finish it. I want to tell you something. Work is more fun than not working. Work is the only thing that takes the curse of fear away. It is the only thing. I too hate it. I too don't think I'm fit or right to do it. Too bad. Too bad. You want to be a neuroscientist. You want to write this proposal. You've been asked to write an artist statement. Just write how you talk. Just write how you think. Don't put on nine-dollar fake idiotic words and say I'm here to synthesize the natural and the cultural into a quintessential crystalline structure. That just don't bullshit. Write what you're thinking. Keep it simple, stupid. Finish it. Do the best you can and move on.、Mm -hmm. And and I think that applies, like you just said earlier, even about your work. Just getting it, like if、yeah. you don't know what it's going to be like till you're done. But it goes beyond writing, right?、So、like a lot of young artists、mm -hmm. or anybody that's making anything. I, at least in my experience, everybody's afraid. To put it out there or to、yeah. finish it because they don't want to be criticized,、right. or they feel like they're, or maybe they're just too hard on themselves and they think it's not good enough, and then they never, never actually put it out there. And I think I've heard you say, if you put it out there, enough people will come and you'll have something. Yes, there's a couple of levels of this, Scott. First of all, nobody can criticize your work and you worse than you can. I will say a hundred times worse things about myself today than anyone online will say, and I'm torn to shreds all day, every day. So the first thing you have to say is I am harder on myself than you could ever be. The second thing is, and this is a strange thing, is I often read somebody saying what I've said wrong, and I'll go, "You could be right." It's possible. There's something I did in my work that made you see something that I didn't mean you to see, or you thought I was an asshole, or you thought I was an idiot, where maybe I wasn't in this case. And I try to always see the grain of truth in every criticism.、Um, so that's the first thing. The other thing is you don't. How big is the audience that you need? How big is the audience that you want? Do you need to be Lady Gaga and have to slay everybody on Earth? Or what I would say is, if you're a neuroscientist or an artist or so, anything else, think about it. Do you want me to talk about how big of a career it takes people to have? How, how, how 
I yeah, would, go, yes. <laughs> I guess what I'm thinking is, you big dopes, it doesn't take that many people to have a career, at least not in the arts. You need one gallerist that you can fake out enough that they actually like your work, that they will stick with you through the good times and the bad, through the weirdnesses and whatever. Um, so that's one gallery. You need two critics, five collectors who can support you, again, through the good times and the bad, maybe a, uh, you know, a curator or two. In any event, you don't need that many people. And most of all, you need a, a, a coven of fellow vampires that you stay up late with every single night, friends, you know, people in your field, around your age, your peer group, and you're telling each other a new language, and you're going to take over the world in about 96 months from right now, when the world is different. When we look back on this moment in 96 months, I think that's five years, I don't know. People in the art world can't do math, so we don't know. It could be 10 years, four years. Um, We'll look back in this moment and go, oh no, that's now all wrong. That happens a little bit every single day. How does it work in neuroscience? You know, where the, uh, like, what are the processes that throw you for a loop? Well, okay. In, in science in general, everybody has, I mean, you just said everybody does, but it's, I think, particularly bad. Everybody has imposter syndrome because in yeah. science, criticism is a big part of it. You write your research, mm -hmm. and you send it to a panel of expert reviewers, and they tear it apart. Yes. And they question every single part of it. Good. And then you have to defend why okay. you did that. And so a lot of the times people say, like, in science, you only ever hear the negative feedback. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no yes. one's ever say this is great. Yeah. Everybody says, why did you do that that way? Because I would have done it this way. And then you have to say, well, you know, we did it this way. Yeah. I, we should have done it this way because of this, this, and this. Right. The other thing is, and you were talking about keeping it, like, well, writing, really, writing how you talk, mm -hmm. is that, you know, I've never taken an art class in my life. Me neither. Okay, okay, well, we're the okay. same. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So, well, I have no degrees. I did not go to school. So you're already ahead of me. I think you've got two degrees already. I'm working on the second. <laughs> you're working on the second. What's your first called? It was, I just did a, undergraduate, a bachelor's degree in psychology. Wow. And now I'm doing a master's in neuroscience. Amazing, <laughs> doctor. Okay, so go on. You've so, never taken an art course in your life. But I, I go to art shows and artist spaces, and I like to, anyways, what I'm getting at is that I go, and a lot of times I read it's called an artist statement, but it's yes. that piece of paper you read when you first get the press to release. The press release, and it is always bullshit. I, it's yes, thank you. It's like I can't even know. I make mean, sense what they're saying, and, I, and it makes me either. feel stupid because yes. I'm like, well, maybe I just don't. Yeah, and I don't. It's because I never took an art class. So I don't know what all this means. Yeah, but in in science, it's like when you write, you literally, okay, what did you do? What did you think you would find? What did you actually find? That's great. And if you start to wax and wane and try to sell your work, then they get really suspicious. So <laughs> I'm coming from like a different wow. perspective, but. I like your perspective. <laughs> I wish those press releases 
which are, you're really right, are filled with stuff that makes no sense. It's, it's filled with, again, this weird language that you can barely access and makes a jillion references. I have found that my formula is skipped usually the last paragraph and it might tell you a teeny bit about what they did in this show. All I really want to know is names, dates, titles, a real simple idea, real simple, like three lines, stupid. And even though complex things I know can't be boiled down into three lines, but E equals MC square fits on a t-shirt. And yes, we have to unpack that for a lifetime, but still try to fit it in a few sentences. And I want to know the materials. In my case, not so much for you, how is it made is very, very important to me. But you are really right, so it keeps people at a distance. I think it's because the artists are afraid that it's not enough, or the dealers are afraid. But you're really right about the art. Art writing is pretty big. Uh, it's kind of a mess, although it's coming around online, etc. You engage with people a lot on social media, yeah. on Facebook, on yeah. Instagram. You'll post your opinion, you'll post some art, and you'll ask you know, your followers, what do you think? And, yeah. and so why do, you, why, do you, like, why do you do that? Yeah, why do I do that? Yeah. All why? of us wonder, why do I do this? <laughs> we don't know why we do it, because I'm, maybe it's because, first of all, a lot of us, a lot of you out there work alone. You're alone a lot of the time. All the time. Yeah, 16 hours a day, I'm alone. My wife is also an art critic. Her name is Roberta Smith. You should read her. She writes for the New York Times. I think she's the best art critic alive. I love my work, but I think she's the real deal, Roberta Smith. But we're alone in our stupid apartment in, in New York. And somehow being online about 10 years ago, eight years ago, I found that I felt less alone, believe it or not. I would post something, people would come and tear me a new one, but then I found, look it, here's the long and the short. Okay. okay. Am I going too long? <laughs> no, you're, no, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> For me, when I got into art criticism, and it's still this way, it was like a pyramid, that the critic was on the top of the pyramid, speaking the one was speaking down to the many. Okay, it's like those stupid press releases you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And online, I have found a way that the many can speak to one another on a more even playing field. And that, I, that horizontality to me is everything. So I find that I love listening in on people's thinking. Don't you all out there? Every single time people says so anything to, say anything to me about my work, I always go, damn, why didn't I think of that? That's a great <laughs> idea. You know, everybody's ideas come back to you with what uh, Emerson called an alienated majesty. Because somewhere in you, you heard yourself thinking that. and. I love getting other people's thoughts and ideas. They only multiply mine. So that's what, why I started this online. Mm -hmm. And online I can be a bit of an asshole. I don't mean to be. I don't think I do. And people will get upset with me. 
and I see it. I can see it. My wife says she can see it, so I trust her on that. Mm -hmm. And do you do you ever have to block people or something? I, or? Well, a couple things. I will apologize mm -hmm. readily if I see it mm -hmm. or if somebody can explain it to me. Um, but yes, I block. I have a couple of rules. Mm -hmm. One is you can call me any name you want to. I'm fine with that. But you can't call anybody else here a name because that's when those threads go crazy. They just devolve right away. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And the other is I block cynics. I hate people who have certainty. Mm -hmm. I can't stand it. What do I mean? If I say uh, such and such an artist and they go, well, I know why she got a show. I know why he gets the reviews. I know why everyone likes that person's paintings. My answer is, you don't know shit. You really don't know how complex this whole thing is, and really nobody knows. Art is a world that really doesn't like certainty. Art is a world of paradox, where more than one thing is true and in operation at once where it's open-ended, where it's ambiguous. Oscar Wilde once said, the minute you think you know a work of art, it begins to die for you. So I guess what I would say is, if you're certain, you're a cynic. And if you're a cynic, I, you make me sleepy. And I want you away from me. I just can't, it's like talking, you know, politics with people like the right wing, that just, they're so certain and where my side is like, well, that's interesting, yeah. So has anybody ever changed your mind, changed your opinion mm -hmm. via a thread? I think they, yes, yeah. yes. People have opened me up or shed new light, made me see things from different angles every single day. Uh, my opinion has been changed, yes. I actually think world, my worldview has changed uh, on, online, that I think that in my case, I've seen how intelligent and brilliant, uh, supposedly uneducated, uninitiated people are about art, to the point where when I go to great museums, if I see somebody looking as close as I am, that if there's a younger, if there's somebody next to me, that, that says and that's looking, I'll go, what do you think of this? And then often, huge conversations will begin right in front of the work of art. And you're amazed at uh, what people think. I'd love to go to museums with you. A neuroscientist, I'd love to see how you see. There's no right way to see anything. The other thing I want to get, you kind of touched on it a little bit, in that you, you, talk, I, you, I like how you talk about, you know, writing how you talk, and you mentioned that you don't have uh, any degrees. Right. And so some people listening to this, you know, this is a radio show, so maybe in the car, or maybe online, they might think, oh, this Jerry guy is just, you yeah. know, he's just an art critic, and from New York, he's this yeah. fancy, fancy guy. Yeah. <laughs> but really, you have a kind of unique background in that 
You didn't start writing until what your forties. That's right. And what were you doing? Uh, I'm today. I'm. <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> the same thing most of you are doing right now, being terrified of doing what you want to do, you big babies. So I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago.、Um, I was a terrible student. I think I graduated at the bottom of my high school class of. 500 or something, big high school, Oak Park River Forest. It's where all the Frank Lloyd Wright homes are. So every morning on the way to high school, I would pass maybe over a dozen Frank Lloyd Wright homes. And as I cut through the bushes on my shortcuts and would smell dirt and wait, look up at their in the backyards of these homes, I knew they were very special. I just didn't know why. I just thought it's because I was seeing the homes of lives that were more normal than my life. Each one of us thinking our life is a big wreck. Anyway, I graduated. I wanted to be an artist. I tried to be an artist. I start. I couldn't be an artist. Long, long story short, that was in my twenties in Chicago. I moved to New York. I became a long-distance truck driver. The only Jewish one of my <laughs> out there, I think. It was a ten-wheel truck, not an eighteen-wheeler, because again, I'm Jewish. I don't think we're allowed to. And so I drove, getting more and more lonely, more and more miserable, like wanting to be in the art world. That was my goal. Above all, I loved the art world. I'm not sure I loved art as much as the world. The life. When I was in high school, I'm much older than you are. I looked around and I saw the people that were having sex were either in the art world or the theater world, and I wasn't. So I thought I've got to be in one of those worlds. That's my life's goal. Then maybe I could have sex. Of course, I didn't put off the vibe, and that was my problem, not the field's problem, fortunately. And、uh, so. Finally, after in, when I was 40 years old, I had had enough, and I just said, "Anything is better than this." I put out word in the high school that is the art world. It's a small world, just as all of your worlds listening to this are very small in a way. It is like high school, the neuroscience world, the poetry world, the whatever world. I put out word in the high school that I had a crush on a particularly small magazine, and I wished I could write for them. And sure enough, I got a chance to write for them, and I started writing, and that's how I began. So late bloomers, I didn't start till I'm 40, and then it was a long slog. I had to, first I was trying to write smart and cool. And use that terrible language of like the commodified object of late capitalism. Marxism finds itself in the simulacra of a Lacanian feedback loop, and you're like, "Wow!" People would say, "Wow, Jerry, you, you, that was great. You sound so smart." And I would think, "Yeah, <laughs> it was great." <laughs> But the truth is, deadlines set you free. In so far as, finally, I got a deadline that I was procrastinating. 
I had no time left and I had to finish something. And I remember writing three or four paragraphs, not that they were any good, but they felt true. They felt like the way I think, the way I talk, and that I had found my voice under pressure by accident when there was no time to lie anymore. I had to write moreover, and this is very important in criticism, not what I liked, but also what I did not like. I had to reveal the other half, a whole half of myself, of my taste, and that's when I really started opening the door to my idiot voice that, to become the, mine. And uh, I've never really looked back since then. Okay. So I do think that you do go through hell, that there may be no other way. You've got to find a way to write in your own voice. You've got to find a way to make it interesting. And that is by your own voice, even in your field. Like show the kind of elegance, the simplicity, the idiocy of your approach, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't think people do know what they're going to do until it's over. I'm not sure if that's the case in science, though. You probably are looking to see if, you know, can you train a frog to go left? Mm -hmm. by breeding it in such a way. So you are looking for things, but I'm looking for things too. I wish I could put it, I, I feel like I should know off the top of my head, yeah. but there's spontaneous, some of the greatest discoveries have been spontaneous I'm discoveries. Sure. Yeah. And also- It's after a lifetime. Oh yeah. There's behind every discovery, behind every work of art, behind every text, there are hundreds, if not th tens of thousands of others. Mm -hmm. So that's important. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, you're not. That's totally right. And like, I think I've never had a, I've never finished a project, an experiment and gotten what I, yeah. my hypothesis was. Yeah. Never happened, Jerry. Me I don't neither. think it ever will. <laughs> no, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> but it's like, I think in science speak, people have to stop worrying about for any scientists out there, yeah. stop worrying about getting significant, getting significant values. Getting yes. different. You know what? If it's not, that's fine. Yeah, and that tells you just as much. So it was. It does. <laughs> the failed draft yeah. does mm -hmm. tell you as much. You know, with the door that doesn't work is important. Mm -hmm. You try it. You you have to try it a million times. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got started. Anyway, um, I and I started writing criticism. It doesn't pay. Anybody that's listening, people get upset when I say this, but I think that a couple of the things you have to do as an artist is come to terms with you're probably not going to be very wealthy. Now, a lot of people are going to hear that and go, oh, fuck you, Jerry. <laughs> and I want you to have money. I want everybody to have money. Look, I'm an American. You can tell from my dumbness. Uh, my accent, my thought, my pushiness, my assholeness. I want everybody to have money. That's the American and Canadian way. Uh, <laughs> but I also want to tell you that most people in the creative arts live on much, much less money. And they live in le on less money in a lot of style. Their life is never, ever boring. They figure out ways almost everybody I know in the art world, and I mean everyone, is a success in the following way. They figured out a, 
a way to have a phony baloney three-day-a-week job, you know, or to have low rent, like you people in Montreal have. <laughs> I look at these buildings and I go, I want to live here. This is gorgeous. <laughs> I could live here. I, I could get my teeth taken care of. Okay. So uh, you don't need a lot of money. You work on two or three days a week, and then you're happy. I want to tell people how to define success for me. I want you to define success not as happiness. Money is great, okay? I'm not, fame is wonderful. I want you to define time, uh, 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 happiness as time, as time. As, as having the time to do your work. And once you start having the time to do your work, and you people in Montreal might understand this, because you do pay less, mm -hmm. and you do have more time. Mm -hmm. What I would urge you to do is procrastinate, because you have to, because you're big dopes and big scaredy cat babies, but then use that time, hang out with each other, really, really, commingle with the other vampires and um, I promise you that time will be really you won't be depressed as much anymore except on the crap you're putting on yourself Dude, I, I want to demystify yeah. art in a way for listeners because a lot of okay in music by radio station in music everybody's a critic truly right everybody can tell you why they love this singer why they love yeah. this they can tell you why they hate country or they hate yes. metal right right and everybody feels comfortable but with art there's an anxiety around now, why is that i don't know i want to ask you <laughs> it's it could be because art is a very silent thing mm -hmm. generally generally and it's old well so is music mm -hmm. but people will go yeah i hate chopin you know, like without even thinking. Um, I too will look at uh, Rembrandt and think, it's kind of brown, you mm -hmm. know. <laughs> I too have those reactions. Um, let me give you a parable written by my second favorite American poet uh, named Wallace Stevens. Have you ever heard of his name? I have not. Early modernist. Okay. Don't read him, it's way too complicated. <laughs> too difficult. I don't understand a word of it. But he said one thing that I found interesting. He said, 22 people crossing a bridge into a village are 22 people crossing 22 bridges into 22 villages. So everybody has a different experience of the everybody same thing. Everybody is having a different experience of the same thing the way your experience of great art, like Hamlet, is different than my experience of Hamlet. Everybody has, has written their own Hamlet. Moreover, if the art is truly great, every time you hear Hamlet, see Hamlet, it's different for you. So it's a never-changing, never-changing. So it's really complex. Uh, how art exists in temporal time. I don't know how to demystify art other than <laughs> I want everybody to read a column that I wrote okay. called How to Be an Artist. It's uh, 2018. Just read it and it has 33 rules for being an, uh, uh, 
How to Be an Artist, 33 Rules That'll Help You At Least Think More Creatively. And um, that's what that's about. Okay. Don't feel intimidated in front of art. Nobody has the right answer. Try to put aside your judgment and just try to look at its qualities. What might this be about? If I were the kind of person that liked this art, what would I like about it? Etc. Etc. And also remember that all art was once contemporary art, meaning that it was answering to all the other art of its time, that it was in conversation with its time. How did it look different? How did it look the same? What was it disagreeing with? What metal? What country didn't it like? What What is it criticizing? Mm -hmm. Is it okay to just be like, I hate that, I, this art, maybe hate strong word, but like, I just really don't like this art that well, I'm looking at. Well, <laughs> here's what I would say. Of course it is with contemporary art. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of rules that you can go by. 85% of the contemporary art you see will be shit. But then again, 85% of the art made during the high renaissance was shit. It's just that it's all been filtered out. The only art you see in museums is supposedly the good stuff. However, Scott walks through, our host walks through museums, and he doesn't like 85% of the stuff he sees. 50%. Yeah, no, let's go 85%. Let's do it. And that's being generous. Really, it might be higher as 90 or more. Um, I guess what I would say is. The overlap is very interesting, where your 10% and my 10% might overlap. Your 85% shit is different than my 85% crap. And that's where the conversation starts, where you start having those great conversations why country is worse than metal, is worse than, you know, trip hop, etc., blah, blah, blah. Um, so, what I would say is, though, on certain arts there are consensus, like Rembrandt mm -hmm. or Cezanne. It took me a lifetime to understand Cezanne. Really. And you also said that sometimes you look at Rembrandt and think it's a little brown. It's a little brown. <laughs> and it is. Yeah. And you think, well, I'm just looking at my hair. Yeah. You know, I'm just looking at the reflection of my skin. And that happens. It, it, you can get tired, but just keep at it. Keep trying to see that artist's subjectivity, how they painted shadows, shapes, how they handled everything inside this canvas, what was their attitude about themselves, what do you think they thought about material, how did they feel about just anything that you can think of. I would counsel you to use subject matter first and then stop seeing subject matter. Try to identify, like, what's the subject matter of Michelangelo's David? Test question. Oh, God. Do you know it? Do you know the sculpture? The standing. The one he's holding the. He's holding a sling. Okay. It's a naked boy yeah. holding a sling. Right. Do you know what, who the, what the yes. subject matter is? What is What it? the subject matter is? I'll tell no, you. No, yeah. It's David, uh, listen, uh, David and Goliath. <laughs> what were you going to say? I was going to say, I'm not stupid, I'm just nervous at the test question. <laughs> That's good. 
That's a great answer, and I would have accepted that. Okay. I'm going to make it an easier okay. one. Do you know who Francis Bacon is? No. no. <laughs> okay, no. Okay, let's... I'm a Philistine. Uh, me too. Okay. Uh, Michelangelo's David is, the, is a young boy, naked, looking to his uh, left, I think, holding something in, on his shoulder, and it's a sling, and it's the sling that, it's the story of David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. mm. But once you see that story, I want to counsel you to put the story aside and ask yourself, what am I seeing? Well, first of all, you're seeing nobility, grace. Uh, he's just 17, if you know what I mean. You know, he's beautiful. He's naked. You think, how is he standing? Is he standing still? Do you know the pose in, in your mind? Can you see the yes. sculpture? Yes, yeah, yeah. What is he thinking? Or what is he doing? What is that sculpture doing? Try to answer it to me in your head. Pondering? Bingo. Oh, Give sweet. me one of these yeah. fist bump. <laughs> He's pondering. What is he thinking about? Not subject matter. So this is like, okay. Yeah. That could be whatever I'm projecting onto it. So please do. I don't know if I have an answer, Jerry. He's pondering, like, can I do this? What am okay. I going to do? Yeah. Actually, your answer, pondering, was good enough. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> is he pondering something that he's going to do or that he's just done? Something he's going to do. Give me a fist bump. Okay. Boom. You are like, surging. This is my head. This is my first art test yeah. ever. <laughs> and you're doing great. Okay, great. You're doing great. <laughs> my first art is history he, test. Uh, would you call him a kind of classically beautifully per sculpture? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. As opposed to a kind of gargoyle mm. awful. So describe some of its beauty in dumb words, please. His beauty, okay, yeah, or its, its beauty. Its yeah, beauty yeah. is like, well, in a ways, it's the it's a classical Western gaze of beauty. Yes, he like tone body. Yes, uh, sharp facial features. Yes, curly hair. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, everything that I was ever taught that was beautiful is everything we were ever taught <laughs> is right in that sculpture, mm -hmm. and it wasn't there before it was put there. Okay. Here's what happened. Michelangelo went back as far as we are from him, which is now 600 years or so. That was made in 1501. And again, I can't do the math. <laughs> he went back 1,500 years before him and saw old sculptures made by a civilization called Rome. Civilization called Rome and the Roman Empire. And he saw that they had a completely different ideal of sculpture and of beauty. And the Romans had gotten it from a culture that came 500 years before them, which is a little thing called Greece. Okay. So he went back to make the old new again. 
The same way our brains are reusing every fucking little synapse in there, every wrinkle in every lobe to do anything. Somehow make a silicone chip to like <laughs> make an artificial, you know, intelligence yeah. mm-hmm. bullshit. Like I don't know what I'm saying. Or make a frog turn left mm-hmm. to understand who we are if we're alone in this universe. And Michelangelo made the old new again. That's what he did. And you understood that intuitively. And I'll tell you I didn't realize I did. You did, because Michelangelo embedded all of that thought in material. Mm -hmm. Embedding thought in material is what art is. And that's a different language, to be sure. But I promise you, if you see like a bat, you have an echolocation system that you're putting out. If you close your eyes, you always know what direction somebody's coming from. There's a lot of uh, feedback, right? Information mm-hmm. that all of us are getting, processing mainly visual. But if you uh, see like a bat, you are putting out signals of your own and getting all sorts of feedback from the material. Start reading that. You can okay. be amazed at how much you can read. Just pose like everybody you see mm-hmm. in classical art. Mm-hmm. From now on, spend six months in the museum posing like every figure, and you will understand what the artist is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Is their idea of beauty ugly, or is it beautiful? La, 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 blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, thank so you're yeah, now a good yeah. artist. I'm now, that was my first art history lesson. Bingo. Yeah. In one hour, we <laughs> yeah. got Scott yeah. doing it. <laughs> so that means that everyone, if I could do it. <laughs> and can I impart one last lesson yes. to you and your yes. audience? Yes. What I would like to say to you all is that like 3 a.m., when your metaphorical suicide meter is starting to run up, like, I didn't go to the right schools, I can't schmooze, I don't have money, I don't know how to socialize, I am an idiot, I'm an imposter, I can't do this. When that happens at three in the morning, I want you to stop and say, after you've attacked yourself, I don't know how to read, I can't do accounting, I don't know math, I'm terrible at digital things, blah, blah, blah. When you get to the 50% meter, when it's almost too much, I want you to say, yeah, but I'm a fucking genius. <laughs> and the meter, <laughs> the meter will go down. You have to be delusional. Mm-hmm. You have to be delusional and believe in yourself just enough to think, eh, I got this thing. I can fake it out enough for a lifetime. Fake it till you make it? Yeah, I am. <laughs> We're all learning on the job. Great. Well, before I let you go, Jerry, can I ask you one last question? Do you listen to music when you write? I do. You do? I have a Spotify list. Okay. I'm 68, so my taste hasn't evolved uh, that much. I have covers. I love covers of songs. My favorite musician would be uh, everything late Bob Dylan. I can't get enough of that. Okay. <laughs> and and okay. people hate that shit. Late and not early. That's uh, so I different than what most early. people say about music. Ooh. Most people just love people's early work and they say, oh, the later. No, no, there. no. Uh, and Led Zeppelin, I stopped listening to after Led Zeppelin 4. Okay. And I think it's a big mess. But I think in all great art, if you listen very, very, very careful, 
you'll hear a little early Led Zeppelin. The weird distortion, the weird experimentation, the DIY of trying to make things work, mm -hmm. of like kind of the flailing, the mess, the weirdness, that is what I like. But all the rest I like um, covers of any recognizable rock Interesting. inspired song. I'm good from the 60s through about the 90s. Uh, thanks again, Jerry, for, for taking the time to speak to me today, even though I've never met you before. No, you're uh, a great guy. Anybody listening, he's about 6'1", <laughs> cute as a button. He's got a little green uh, beanie hat on, oh, long right. hair down on his shoulders. Uh, like, <laughs> no, he no, looks no. a little like Kurt, a thin Kurt Cobain. Oh, wait, no, no. Where are you from? <laughs> I moved here from L.A. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so, you know. I'm not from Canada now. I have all the listeners know. Do you have uh, health care now here? I do. Oh, God, oh, I, I do. hate you all. I moved here right when Trump was elected as oh, well. So I just, true. I was like, let me take a four-year break from the States. <laughs> Amen. You, Canada yeah. is so eating our, our uh, lunch right now. You, mm -hmm. Canada is one of the countries of the future, as we all uh, know. Yes. Because of global warming, mm -hmm. you guys are going to have to build a gigantic wall on your southern border yeah. to keep yeah. out the 100 million climate refugees mm -hmm. pouring into your country from the United States of America escaping the gigantic coastal cities up and down the East Coast, certainly. And uh, you will have the temperate weather. You will have the resources. You, Russia, and China's going to be your banker. And they're already building the infrastructure for you and Russia. Mm -hmm. You guys are the future. Mm -hmm. Well, you heard it from Jerry Salzburg. Canada is... The greatest country. <laughs> I'm not, I don't mean, know. I, mean, I put the words in his mouth. I hate you all, but you are, you motherfuckers. <laughs> well, thanks again, Jerry, and we're really excited for your, your talk tonight as thanks, well. Thanks, God. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Great.